Welcome to a new episode of Meet Sandvik. In this series of podcasts, you get to meet different persons from inside and outside Sandvik. People who can bring interesting perspectives to a lot of questions that impact our company and our industry. My name is Martin Blomgren. I'm the press and media manager here at Sandvik. And in this episode, I have invited two persons that know a lot about the very core of Sandvik, materials. So a warm welcome to Annika Borgenstam from KTH, the Royal Institute of Technology. Thanks, glad to be here. And also a warm welcome to Susanne Norgren from Sandvik. Thank you, very nice to be here too. So uh, let's start with a very brief uh, description or introduction of what your roles and, and titles actually mean. Annika, can you uh, please start tell me what you do? I have several different roles and one of them is I'm professor in micro and nanostructures in alloys at KTH and then I'm also head of the department material science and engineering uh, and then I'm also director of a competence center here I am to innovation so it's a mix of different sounds like busy days yes yeah uh, and Susanne you're the group expert materials design here at Sandvik Uh, what does that role mean? Explained in, in a few words, if possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means that I work for all the different Sandvik companies on, uh, how do you say, on... Uh, on all the business areas? Oh, for all the business yeah. areas. I'm uh, positioned at Coremont, but I work for the other um, when they want me to. Yeah. So it's like on commission. And uh, it could be everything from calculating... Uh, for instance, titanium alloys from for SMT to to have, having a diploma work now on 3D printing and uh, working, of course, with semantic carbides for for Coromant and Rock Tools. Mm. So. Great. Uh, the theme for this pod episode is tomorrow's materials. Uh, but before we look at the situation today and how it looks uh, going forward, uh, I would like you to take a look in the rear mirror. Uh, What do you see as the major trends that have shaped the materials development if you look back on, on, on your careers and, and maybe even before you started in this area? Uh, would you like to start, Susanne? Mm. Well, it, it depends on what you look at. But for instance, if you look at rock drilling, of course, the when in the beginning of the 1920s, 1930s, the, uh, uh, the Swedish method was invented actually by Atlas Kocko. Uh, but at that time, it was a collaboration between Sandvik and Atlas Copco, and uh, approximately around uh, uh, in the mid 40s, mid 50s, then uh, Sandvik developed the first cemented carbide. Mm. And uh, while we know the history today, we have Sandvik Mining and a competitor in Sweden with another name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think this development uh, has uh, really. Um, how do you say, put a lot of uh, speed into the development, both of the machines and, and the rock drills as such. Mm -hmm. And without the cemented carbide, there would be uh, no need of making such a big machine because what is most important is that uh, the material that meets the rock lasts. Yeah. If it But doesn't last, uh, yeah, yeah, if it doesn't last, if it breaks, You don't need the machine. Yeah. So that I think that's a revolution when it comes to the, the rock drilling area, really. Mm. And uh, 
when it comes to meta cutting, of course, then if you're looking at the Sandvik business, then of course, um, the cemented carbide itself when it came, but then also in the 90s or a little bit earlier than that, when the coating, they started coating the cemented carbides. I mean, looked in the articles when the two life went up from 28 mm. seconds to, you know, 15 minutes. That That is also like a paradigm shift mm. in, in that area. Mm. If you look on the broader perspective, I think when it comes to, to uh, uh, the steels, uh, I think that's happened a lot. But then in that case, I think that Annika is, is, knows yeah. more about this than I do. Yeah, mm. but I would not uh, like to focus on a specific material. So I think that the modeling that has been going on now for many years, I think mm. that has really have a big impact on the materials development. Uh, like, for instance, thermocalc has been going on now for mm. 40 years, and that has really changed. And I mean, there are a lot of different computational tools and modeling tools and are still being developed. I think that has really... Mm. It, it actually means it. that you can make the material in your computer before you, actually before you do it. it. So okay. you can make like uh, hundreds of alloys in your computer until you select which ones okay. you should actually go out and, and process. And, and then is the, the, real, uh, the real product, is it like it is in the computer or, or can you trust that uh, process? No, you have to do some prototypes, of course. But what the models can do, it is to show you in what direction you should go. Mm -hmm. And you can get a lot of input, uh, even if, well, from a thermodynamic perspective, then you can get really quite exact input. Mm -hmm. But then there are so many other aspects. So we cannot design the material directly only using the computer, but it helps a lot. Yeah, it sounds like a time saver, Definitely. big time time yeah. saver. Yeah, and money saver. Then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but but how come uh, that you started in this area? What what uh, was it? Any of these major trends you mentioned that that made you uh, decide that I want to study this, I want to work with this? Uh, I, I started. I, I was interested in both physics and chemistry and wanted a mix of them. And then I read about materials and mm. that you could actually decide where the atoms should be to govern the properties. <laughs> of the materials and and uh, that is what got me interested uh, in yeah. the first place yeah Annika how come mm. that you uh, I was interested in chemistry and then when I started studying materials and I became very uh, interested and fascinated by microstructures in mm. metallic materials and I'm still fascinated by, by those good mm. if we move back to 2019 uh, what are the major trends right now uh, in, in this area? Would you like to start, Annika? Yeah, I would just, uh, again come back to the modeling because I, that mm -hmm. is really increasing a lot. And we are talking a lot today about ICME, Integrated Computation Materials Engineering. Uh, and that has, I mean, it's increasing extremely fast now. and. We at KTH in Sandvik and in Sweden, we have been working on it for many years, but now it's really a hype. And it, mm. I don't think, I mean, it's not a hype because this will continue. Mm. This is the way we should go by, because this will lead them to a decrease in mm. development time and so. And in 2011, uh, President Obama launched the Matthias Genome Initiative, which has also had a very large impact. Mm. 
And then I think now we are talking more and more about machine learning. I don't think we have seen so many real results of the machine learning in the materials development yet, but that will of course come. Mm -hmm. When you say machine learning, is it artificial intelligence? Uh... Yeah, machine learning is a part of the yeah. Uh, yeah, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And Susanne, what, what uh, major trends are you seeing? In I fully agree. I mean, and also Sandvik, we use the uh, computational methods uh, because it really saves time to market for us mm -hmm. with enormous amounts. And um, also it's a working method that makes you more rapid in your development if you know what to target. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that will come even further. Uh, Today, I think that the modeling will also move even further when it comes to also try to model the mechanical properties so we can couple it mm. the, all the way. And um, but then I, I also see that uh, other things that uh, affect uh, what we do, like, for instance, now, of course, a trend everybody heard about it is the additive manufacturing yes. and uh, it you can use these modeling methods also for that. Uh, but I think also the additive manufacturing will not be used everywhere, but it will change the way uh, we design things mm -hmm. and, and maybe also alter the need for, for different materials uh, because um, it allows you to reduce the weight, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, by other means, by simply removing material. Uh, so it, it will be very interesting to see in the future where where it will find its niches. Yeah, yeah. Additive yeah. is is an area yeah. that gets a lot of attention and yeah. uh, uh, buzz. But what you say is it uh, is? Do you think it will be a disruptive technology or will it be a complement to the technologies mm -hmm. existing? I think both actually. Both, yeah. In, in some areas, both, it will yeah. be disruptive because you're yeah. going, you will be able to make things, mm -hmm. and we already do in some areas that you couldn't do before. Uh, like, uh, for instance, uh, I think Seco is doing the clamp with internal mm -hmm. coolant channels that they are selling. Uh, you couldn't do that in a, in a with this internal structure in a good way before. So that's a small example, <laughs> but uh, I think that it, you will also see it in, in other areas where we didn't think about it yeah. uh, today. And I also uh, think that the additive manufacturing that will open up for completely new materials yeah. that we can use in this process. Uh, and then we can also build in the properties. So, I mean, when we build up a material, we can have different materials, but in the same mm. Mm -hmm in the same component in a different way than what we can have today. Mm. But still the focus is quite a lot to use the same type of materials that we have and then use them in the additive manufacturing. Mm. Mm. But it, I think it mm. will be more and more of completely new. Yeah. Today it is like that. Yeah. But in the mm. future, I think that it will also be materials completely Mm. designed to be yeah, produced exactly. yeah. by exactly. additive manufacturing. Mm. So. Speaking about the future, if you mm. dare to look, say, 10-15 years ahead, mm. what, what do you see? Do you see any techniques today or designs or materials that, that could really, really change, change business models or change, uh, change parts of the world? 
we won't hold you accountable if if you don't get it right here. <laughs> you can you can guess, make a guesstimate. Yeah. Or is 10, 15 years, is that uh, not so fast in no, this area? No, perha- perhaps that is not long enough. But yeah. I think that in additive manufacturing, I think we will be able to see really new uh, new type of materials. But at the same time, when if you look back, those really special materials like shape memory alloys is one example bulk metallic glasses is another example yeah. and if you take shape memory alloys for instance that has been known for very long uh, and it has been spent an enormous amount of research funding on shape memory alloys but then if we look around in the society we are not using it much there are some applications of course very important like in medical applications and so but so many times i think these quite uh, it's very difficult for them to really be become uh, the the game changer mm-hmm. so, yeah mm-hmm. or it takes a while Yeah. It takes a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. We, we'll have to do another pod in 15 years and see if, uh, mm-hmm. what has happened. Um, sustainability is an uh, increasing area in many in many uh, aspects and a uh, huge trend in, in business life as well. Uh, how do you see uh, an increased focus on sustainability affecting your daily work? If you do at all. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. And and I think that is today, I think it's a very good trend. Uh, and uh, I think uh, sometimes you wonder why didn't we, or haven't we always done this? <laughs> But uh, it is also that um, the company takes a larger responsibility for the entire value chain. So, and it's not only the material or the products we produce, it's also where do we take the energy from so that you really uh, not sub-optimize in in a small area and you start to get, you try to get the global picture instead. Uh, And I think the work that's now ongoing in Corman, for instance, is really, really good. But is that aspect more common today when you get internal questions uh, if you can help yes. with something yes. yeah. today today you it's uh, like an, a natural part of the work mm. w- which it wasn't uh, 10 years ago mm. yeah. is it the same for you Annika that it's yeah perhaps a little bit different because we are not producing anything we are a re- having research projects but still uh, so this comes in everywhere I would say, at least in what we are working with. And I can take one example, for instance, working on high strength steels, even if that will not uh, affect the research I do, so that that becomes more sustainable. But if we can produce a a steel that is stronger, that will have, that will really contribute to the sustainability. But uh, when it comes to students, do you notice any change there in the sustainability area that there are? Yeah, they are much very interested. That mm. is something that really attracts students. Mm. Mm. Uh, you mentioned steel before, and, and I find it fascinating. You have to correct me if I'm wrong, that most of the steel in the world today is recycled. And as, as uh, you mentioned, Susan, we use scrap in our steel production in, in mm. Sandvik materials technology. Uh, so what do you think? Will steel uh, be there? Be, be there f- forever or do you see any materials that could replace steel? Uh, No, I don't see any materials that could replace it. And I don't see the reason neither for why we should replace it. And I also think that 
sometimes we get a view of that steel is only detrimental for mm. the environment. But and that is, I mean, that is not correct because what we can do with the steel that can really be beneficial for the environment uh, much more than what it costs to produce it. And I also think when you think of if we could replace steel, I think we could just look around mm. in our where we are at the moment or in the community and see uh, what would it look like if we didn't have the steel. And uh, I think it would be quite difficult yeah. to change it. And then we should remember that it's, as you said, fully recyclable, it's cheap, mm. it's abundant. And then what I think is very fascinating with the steel, it is that we can produce it with so large spectrum of different properties, which is quite... I don't think it's difficult to compete with that. Mm. Mm. So there's still room for improvement in, in steel. You can make it even yes, better. Yes, definitely. If you look at the theoretical strength, mm. we are far from that. Mm. So, uh, yes, we can do, we can and, continue and improving. So better steel and maybe smarter designs could could make steel uh, improve a lot. Yes, definitely. Forward. And then like combining it with AM, uh, yeah. where you can change the con the the structure mm. of what you are producing, yes. I think you've mentioned in, in, in somewhere else uh, about the Eiffel Tower. Yes. How, how different it could be if you built it today. Yeah, that is one example of what the high strength steel, uh, what it means. And it is that if you took the Eiffel Tower and then we would produce new Eiffel Towers of the same amount of material, then we could build four Eiffel Towers oh. just because of the increase in strength of the steel and that shows it's quite yeah. a lot. But still, we are far from the theoretical strength. I would also like to clarify what high strength steel would do for CO2 emission. Uh, because if we have a stronger steel, then we can build a car which weighs less and then it will be less CO2 emissions from the car. But at the same time, we can produce less steel. And that will lead to less CO2 emission from the production. And then also when we transport it, because we have to transport it from the, the steel manufacturer to the car manufacturer, that will also lead to less CO2 emission. So I think it's important to remember that. Great. Um, should we talk a bit about cobalt? Mm. Uh, it's it's a metal used in batteries, but also in cemented carbide. Uh, that we at Sandwick use for cutting tools and for rock drilling tools. Uh, but it is a scarce metal. It uh, has negative health effects if you don't handle it correctly. Uh, so here we, it would be um, probably a good thing if we could replace mm. it. Uh, can we do that, Annika? Uh, well, we can <laughs> replace it, but it won't be as good as if we use a cobalt for today. Mm. But if we are working on it and spend a lot of time and, and uh, funding on it, I'm sure we can reach the goal where it will be absolutely competitive. But I guess Susan knows more about the use of it. Do you have some aids up your sleeve when it comes to cobalt? <laughs> no, I, I fully agree with Annika that I think that uh, in the future we will definitely be able to to replace it, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know to what extent we need to um, we need to put um, research and funding into it. Um, if we're going to change, we also need to think about how we should recycle it. Yeah. 
So we, we all again, to be a fully sustainable, we must also, you know, collect it and, and recycle it because we use scrap, you know, oh. production today. Uh, so there's more research needed uh, before we can fully do it. Uh, and also when it comes to for the carbide uh, cutting tool business, it must also be coatable to be competitive. Yes. Uh, while for the rock drilling, they are used uncoated. So then uh, you don't have that part. Mm. But uh, on the other hand, in the rock drilling application, you must uh, have a material that is tough enough and uh, which limits a little bit the spectrum of compositions that you can choose. Um, because uh, if, if you, there is a special crystal structure that mm -hmm. can form in an iron-based alloys that's called martensite, and if you get that one, it, it is, becomes too brittle for the rock drilling mm -hmm. application. Um, but but uh, I think definitely there, there will be substitutes mm -hmm. in the future. And I must say that uh, in this work, we had uh, several ongoing research projects in this area and uh, together with uh, Annika. Mm. And in all of these, we use these uh, digital tools that we spoke about to calculate the compositions of the alloys before we make them and, and so on. Mm. Mm -hmm. So um, probably uh, uh, a lot of research is uh, needed and mm. Which leads me to to asking you a question about how how does the what do you say that the competences needed are are there people to hire from the universities are there enough people um, heading to this area studying this area so that you can find find uh, talents that start at Sandvik or that that takes your courses and then uh, following your footsteps, uh, Annika. It is not that easy to. Uh, to what should I say to recruit young persons into materials, and uh, it's difficult to know, of course, what, what the reason is. But materials is not so. It when you go to school, to high school, for instance, and when you start, you know everybody knows about physics, chemistry, mm -hmm. but materials that is just something that is around us. Mm -hmm. But perhaps it's. Uh, not so well known what it is, what type of area is that? Uh, so it's not that easy and that is quite global that it is not so easy to attract uh, students. And that of course affects what comes out. Yeah, mm. and Susanne, uh, do you do we see this in Sandvik as well? Is it hard to, to find talents in the materials area? Mm, in certain areas, it's absolutely. Uh, it depends a little bit on, on, on the subject or what we're looking for. But in general, absolutely, we need more people with a materials background. Mm. And uh, I agree with Annika there that they, I mean, when you go to the schools today, you study physics and chemistry, but maybe no, I mean, you don't study materials. So it's uh, maybe not natural, even though materials has been so important to, to mankind. So we even named ages after them, like the Iron Age and the Bronze Age. Oh. And <laughs> And so on. So uh, I, I, one can wonder why sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yes. We're glad that you chose the area. Yeah, and, I think and one explanation also, and I think that is something one has to be careful with, it is that if we read about steel industry, for instance, in media, it is often very negative. Mm. 
we don't see so much and the young persons and they don't see, get the picture of that this is something that is really high tech yes. but you see something that is perhaps dirty and it pollutes and so on mm. so i think it we have to also change yeah. and really show that this is something that's a good point yeah high tech sometimes when i give a uh, introduction lecture at at the universities i I try to tell the students that I design everything from dental implants made of titanium alloys to rock drills. And it's all about materials, where the atoms should be to get the properties, whether it should be a property that the surface is not appreciated by bacteria Mm. (laughs) or the surface is liked by the bone cells or uh, this is a, a, a cemental carbide or a rock drill that needs to be able to crush granite. Mm. It's it's the same. Yeah. It's the same method. Mm. Yeah, so, so finally, what what would be your advice to a young talent that are thinking about studying uh, material science? How how best to convince them that they should go into this wonderful area? I would say that uh, if they go into material science, that is a, w- a way to save the world because then they can really have an impact on sustainability and how to save the environment. I think that is, Mm. and to show them why it also has that effect. But I mean, there are so many uh, effects of better materials, but I think we also need to, that is also something that I think we need to to sell more and Mm. show them what the impact is. Because like, if you take steel again, steel is not just a steel, it's uh, many, many different properties and, materials mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you agree do you have a no i think so to too it? and also yeah. it's a very wide spectrum so you can you can also make a change by by the by the design you can and as we spoke about you also have can use your material science knowledge for recycling or thinking in the sustainable banner all the way mm-hmm. even when you create something and uh, and also today we spoke about just touched on, but I think also in the future that some of the materials can be used as sensors themselves because we just know enough about them. So we know how to track them. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and I think this will also open up new possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is also an area where you really can show that it's uh, really high tech if we could really have the sensors in the material or the materials by itself so that for instance the material that is being cut could send information mm-hmm. to the cutting tool and that uh, you have like a mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. i mean that is exciting years ahead mm-hmm. so let's hope that yeah. every uh, talent out there listens to this and <laughs> decides to go to the mm-hmm. material science area Uh, Mm. Thank you both very much for sharing your thoughts on this uh, interesting area. Mm. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.